Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Inside Indy Sports Podcast. I'm Tyler James, and I'm joined once again by the one and only Eric Hansen. Together, we cover Notre Dame football, recruiting, and more for InsideIndySports.com on the Rivals Network. Notre Dame has returned from Durham, North Carolina, where the Irish stole a 21-14 victory from right under Duke's collective nose. The Irish will play their third consecutive night game against an undefeated top 25 opponent this Saturday at number 25, Louisville. The Irish wide receiver position should be much healthier this week after wide receivers Jaden Thomas and Jaden Greathouse missed the Duke game with hamstring injuries. We wanted to spend some time talking about the Irish passing game this week, so we invited former Notre Dame wide receiver Bobby Brown back onto the podcast. Bobby, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. It's been an exciting year so far, man. I really appreciate being a part of this excitement and a part of this conversation with you two. I wanted to start there and with the big picture with you, Bobby. What 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 are your thoughts on how the Irish have looked this season and, and where this program is headed under Marcus Freeman? I I last week, man, you know, I I, I dabble in, in your space in the podcasting, but I t- entitled my, our podcast "Burden of Proof," and we were talking about a litany of things. <laughs> but um, when we got to Notre Dame, uh, and you know, I've got the legal background, so I used the, the double entendre there, but the. When I got to Notre Dame conversation, what I said was, is that I feel as though even after a loss, because this was before the Duke game, Mm -hmm. um, that this staff, this team and this culture has, in my humble opinion, met the burden of proof that we have arrived. We we are in the same category, the same grouping of the top teams in college football. And I think it's only going to get better with a young coaching staff that continues to grow and learn um, a young roster that continues to grow and learn in an amazing pipeline for a recruiting standpoint. So big picture, we have met the burden of proof. And I think that we have some very bright days ahead of us. Okay. So in the Notre Dame game against Duke on Saturday night, we'll kind of skinny it down to that for just a minute. Notre Dame's down to three wide receivers. And I think probably in the days when you played, that may have not been as big of an issue uh, right. having three healthy wide receivers. Touche. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, th- these were not Notre Dame, you know, Notre Dame's two leading wide receivers were on the sideline in Jaden Thomas, a junior, and Jaden Greathouse, a freshman. What were your impressions of the three guys that did play? What did they do right? And what did you see that they maybe struggled with? Yeah, so I I think when it comes to Tobias Merriweather, I think all year he's come up just short on some plays. And I think that is a a, a function of timing, a uh, function of maturity, and I think he'll 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 get there. Um Chris Tyree, I think, is still trying to figure out exactly how to maximize his skill sets in the role of wide receiver. Uh and at times he looks amazing, at times it looks like he's still trying to figure it out. And then the uh, to me the, the the surprise was a young Rico Flores, who made play after play when needed, and um, the biggest play coming in the fourth quarter on the biggest drive. So, I, I you know I think that when you hear the cliche "next man up," people say it in football, but it's a lot easier said than done, especially when it comes to a wide receiver room because of the uh, timing that's necessary. Great. I, I wanted to follow up 
Bobby on Tobias Merriweather. And I don't know if it didn't seem like as you evolved through your career that were there was ever a crisis of confidence, but there might have been when you were a young receiver. Tobias yeah. is the guy that nobody wants to face in practice. And yet when they're in games, Thomas and Great House and some of the other Rico are are guys that have been more productive. Right, right. What do you think is going to push, you know, nudge Tobias to that next level to kind of step into what his potential seems to be? He's going to have to make a play on, on game day in a crucial moment, and he can get over the fear of what it looks to me. And again, I don't know him personally, so um, I, I, I make sure that I, I try to not be too judgmental when it comes to uh, getting into the psyche of a wide receiver. But what it looks like to me is that um, it, it, he worries about making the mistake. The fear of making the mistake is preventing him from capturing his greatness. Size, speed, route running, from all accounts, he has great hands. And then uh, on game day, it seems as though, um, you know, he's coming up just short on plays. Um, and it is a game of inches, but I think for to answer your question, what's going to get him over the hump and get him full steam ahead into the player that he can be and that the coaching staff and the rest of uh, his teammates expect him to be is simply making a play in a big, big moment. And, and that feeling, the, the, that, that jubilation of making the play allows you to get through the fear of um, not making a play. And it is, it's literally just a flip of a coin. And once you start um, erring on the side of, of, of chasing that feeling of, I want to make this play, you know, third and long, give me the ball. That's something that comes with just um, having done it. He's got to make a, a few plays, string them together, um, be consistent, and then I think that in itself eliminates the fear of making mistakes. Bobby, you mentioned Rico Flores and him coming through for for Notre Dame on Saturday. Notre Dame actually released a, a pretty cool video um, on Monday that sort of went inside the coaches' headsets during that final game-winning drive. And at one point, before the drive got to that point, they were like, "What if if we get to a two-point conversion, what do we need to do? Let's think about that. And um, Rico was the guy. Like they decided that, oh Rico, yeah, Rico yeah. Flores was the guy that would that they needed to use in that moment. What does that say about Notre Dame's confidence in him as a freshman? That even in that moment, that Chancey Stuckey was like, "Yes, Rico is the guy for this for this job," and that we can trust him to get a, a very important two point conversion. I'll go back even further. Not not only him personally, what it says about him, I think it also says something about where we are in recruiting that that's the name that comes to mind, a, a young player. Mm -hmm. um, but it was, first of all, a shout out to the, who, I don't know what they call themselves, the media team, the social media team. That video, if that didn't give you goosebumps, you can hate Notre Dame and still love that. <laughs> it was that amazing. That yeah. video was just like, if you're a college football purist, the, the adrenaline, I know the outcome, and yet the video yeah. made me feel as though I was reliving it and i was still stuck in suspense somehow um so shout out to whoever did the video um but i think it says a lot about where we are having young players that we expect to make plays uh and where we are from a confidence standpoint not thinking oh gosh we're gonna lose this game on the road against duke 
Um, instead, the coaches are thinking, okay, let's prepare for what is hopefully the inevitable, which will be us going for a two-point conversion. Um, so the confidence from the coaching staff in general, but specifically towards a young player like Rico Flores, is a tip of the hat to our recruiting. It's a tip of the hat to the uh, talent on our roster. And it's a tip of the hat to, I think, where we are headed. And, and again, not to belabor it, but but I, I have seen enough to say they've met the burden of proof. This team is for real. And so seeing young players um, step up in big moments like that, it just exacerbates that feeling for me that we are there. Bobby, Notre Dame is going to get Jaden Thomas and Jaden Greathouse back for this Louisville game. So they'll have five healthy wide receivers. They're eventually going to get a sixth back in Deion Colsey. And that looks like it's going to be it. Um, if Notre Dame needed to convert a player, maybe in the bye week and two weeks, to play run wide receiver for the rest of the season, how difficult would it be? And I'll give you two two people that I would think of that that Notre Dame might consider if they were going to do okay. Devin Ford, who's yep. one of the running backs. The yep. I was thinking State. of him. Well, I like him. Yep. And then Micah Bell, sprinter from Texas, that's a freshman cornerback that played wide receiver in high school, but is just a freshman. So in your opinion, you know, having come in as a freshman wide receiver from a really great uh, high school program, how difficult would it be for a high school kid? Um, and then how difficult would it be for a fifth-year college player who's been playing another position? Yeah, um, again, I, you know, we talked about it earlier, and I, talk, I, I said something to the effect of timing is such a big part of playing wide receiver. And that would be the, probably the, the most difficult challenge is you haven't gotten the reps, you haven't gotten the fluidity of the timing with the quarterback. But having said that, you know, wide receiver is one of those positions that, you know, um, you know, uh, uh, a la CJ Procise, all right, like that, you know, a la, uh, what's my man name who played for the Lions forever? I see him. He's a New Jersey kid. That's embarrassing. I can't think of Riddick? his name. War number six. Yes, Riddick. Um, Theo Riddick. So those are people that I think converted um, quite easily, but they had the off seasons to prepare. Right. To do it in season, I think you're going to do it to provide depth, not to depend on those players, but to do it in season and have what would essentially be a person who has proven that they can play something else, um, whether it be a forward playing running back. Um, you know, I guess you're not going to use the defensive back skills, but, you know, I think that you get more versatility in that player and it, it offers you some more um, exotic plays. And I think that that's where they would use a, a guy like a Devin Ford is someone who could step in and, and, and be a receiver, line up at receiver, but also offer a little more dynamic or exotic plays. Bobby, I'm trying to remember you were, weren't you a track guy? I I was a track guy. Yes. What, were yes. you hurdles or sprints? I ran the sprints. I ran the 400 and the 200. Okay. I noticed. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How about that. Yeah, yeah. And look, speed, no matter where it's at on the field, is always a threat. So uh, to hear that, you know, he's a defensive back that could convert gives you a little get a bit nerve wracking because most defensive <laughs> backs are known for not being able to catch. 
but hearing that he's a speed demon gives you a, you know, a sense of, of confidence that we can figure out a way to use him, even if it's to stretch the field. Hey, you know, run through the opposite safety, and that's going to open up something for someone else, uh, whoever it might be, a Mitchell Evans or, or Chris Tyree, whoever that might be um, on the other side. Sometimes the speed itself allows you to open up the field. So, um, you know, it, it it's interesting. But I tell you what, if I'm a, a recruit, a Notre Dame recruit, and I am a wide receiver, I'm excited about the opportunities when I look at what could be a shortage of receivers uh, in this season. Bobby, speaking of speed, that's obviously a skill that Chris Tyree has. Are there ways that Notre Dame can use him that maybe takes more advantage of that speed? Or is he is his skill set being fully uh, utilized in his current role? I'd love to I'd love to see it used more, but I but I also, you know, look and 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 I I, I am taking a risk by even making the comparison, but I'm gonna make it anyway. You know, as a youth football coach, <laughs> I, I could appreciate the challenge of trying to get the speed on the field and put it in situations such that you can maximize it because you don't want to alter what your offense is doing well with what our offensive line is doing, with the way um our uh, running back by committee has performed with the way that um, Sam Hartman has taken control of the offense with the way that Mitchell Evans has stepped up and, you know, yet another number 88 stepping up. Love it, Mitchell Evans. Do it, baby. <laughs> uh, with, with all of those things going in your favor, you don't want to alter too much what you're doing. And so I think that that the challenge is going to be trying to figure out how to use a very fast, uh, dynamic player and a Chris Tyree to fit what we are doing well. And when you do try to do it the other way, again, I, I hate that I'm making a comparison, but I'm going to make it anyway. Whenever I try to make the plays fit the player as a youth football coach, it goes wrong. I've got to figure out how to make sure that the player fits into what we do well. And so I think the same thing is true with Chris Tyree and our offense. That's cool. Uh, Bobby, this question is probably more appropriate at the end of the season, but I'm going to ask you now at the midpoint of it, Sam Hartman is the best quarterback at Notre Dame. Ooh. <laughs> You're trying to get me in trouble. Uh, <laughs> well, you can say Jarius. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to take off my politically correct hat here and say, I would say he's the Best quarterback at Notre Dame since Brady Quinn. Well, Brady Quinn. Okay, it's Brady Quinn. Yeah. Um, yeah what would I'll be your politically incorrect pick? <laughs> politically incorrect pick. I'm going. I'm. I'm going to. I'm going to Jerry's Jackson, baby. I, hey, <laughs> once we have a bond, we got a bond forever. You, you know what I mean? Go J Rock, number seven, baby. That's what I'm saying because that's my quarterback, as To would say. That's my quarterback. Uh, but there have been some good ones since, and I think Brady Quinn uh, is definitely atop that list, uh, and some other good ones, honestly, but. Sam Hartman to even be uh, put in a position to ask the question just shows just how well he has performed. The kid that fourth and what is it, sixteen? Yeah. And when he gets that fourth down conversion, to the guts that it takes to make that decision in that moment, and you could tell he did not want to allow the defense to know what he was doing, and so he escapes the pocket, goes to the right, 
He then stops and looks opposite field. The only reason he does that is to freeze the linebackers to give him just that extra yard or two. And I, I there are not enough words to describe the moxie, the confidence, the 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 decision making in that moment. And so um literally I, I enjoy watching them play. I, I, I have my twelve year old son. Well now now he just turned thirteen, but um on the twelve U team who also plays quarterback, we're watching every snap because I think the kid's dynamic and young man, because he's not a kid anymore. He's seasoned. <laughs> but the, the the young man and Sam Hartman, I think, is is bringing such a, a breath of fresh air to Notre Dame offense. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him uh, continue in, in in his greatness this season. And then to wait for Duke's quarterback afterwards. It, it, it shows that it's beyond just what he can do on the field. I think he has a, a way of carrying himself that is um, ideal for where we are as a program. So I'm glad he came here. Bobby, what have you liked or disliked from what you've seen out of Offensive coordinator Jared Parker taking over uh, for Tommy Reese. I've had some really great things to say about our our OC Parker. I think he's done some some amazing things in figuring out what we um, should be doing, our identity, and being unapologetic about it. Um, second half of the Duke game was my first time um, with with you know my fan hat on, throwing stuff at the TV, cursing out the OC. Because that's just what we do when things aren't going well. Um, so so I think that was probably the darkest hour for him, if you will. Now, I know people will talk about the penultimate drive in Ohio State. That screen was set up perfectly. It's just the risk-reward of that ball hitting the ground and allowing them to preserve the timeout is probably what most people will point to. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought it was a great call that just was too risky. It was just too risky. Um, and but I liked everything else he called in the game, to be honest with you. And so I don't want to point one play out because I think that is uh, too narrow minded to point to one play. If I had to describe one series of plays or a half, it would be Duke. That's the only one I took issue with. I thought the second half we turned into somebody who we want, who we are not. And um I didn't think we needed to do. And I think Estimate proved that by getting the game-winning touchdown on the ground. Um, so, but all in all, um, you know, if, if you know, I, I'm not going to do that to Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese is one of ours. But I, I would say, if, if I, I say we, we made out okay with the new offensive coordinator. If I, have to, <laughs> if, if, if I was asked that question, I'd answer, we made out okay. We've got a, a young guy who I think is is got a, really bright future and the toughest thing i think we're gonna have to do is keep them here um because there'll be people calling his phone uh, early and often in the off season bobby last one from me before we ask you what you're up to and so forth is mm-hmm. that well, let's go back to Audric estimate running for that touchdown marcus freeman both saturday night and on monday said well i kind of wanted him to go down on the one yard line so we could kick a field goal uh and and win with the field goal and leave them no time left and so forth. If you are in Audric's position and you hear Marcus screaming, go down at the one, go down at the one, are you going down at the one or are you going into the end zone? 
if if he said it explicitly, I guess I'd have to. But man, it was he was a freight train moving. I think <laughs> uh, you know I, I'm in the New York City area where we you know we're on trains on a daily basis, and a train doesn't stop on a dime. So I don't know if that train <laughs> would have been able to stop at the one because he was moving full steam ahead, and that's a big man with a lot of speed. So. I don't know if it was practical. I understand from a gamesmanship standpoint why you would want that to happen, but I was happy he scored. Um, and I think it was uh, the way to really cleanse ourselves of the previous, that feeling from the previous week. Scoring just felt a little bit better than kicking a field goal um, because of, of, of the unfortunate way the Ohio State game ended. So, um I'm happy he 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 maybe he misheard coach Freeman. We'll give him that. <laughs> uh Bobby like Eric mentioned what where can we find what you're doing in the podcast space? Um promote that for us and then also what are you up to these days? Yeah, um the podcast space it's uh, I talked about the receivers wanting the ball. Um there's a basketball term ball hog that has negative connotations. Uh when I was a receiver at Notre Dame campus, those were my vanity plates. That's that negative connotation of ball hog and turned it into this reality. I wanted my quarterback to know I always want the ball. And so the podcast is Ball Hog Sports Talk. I do it with Reggie Farima, who uh is a former uh, Notre Dame. Uh, defensive tackle. Uh, I love it. We record um, weekly on Fridays. And so you can find it in wherever you get your podcast, but also um, I'm still at this point, you got, you better catch me now before we blow up at this point, you could just text me and I'll send you the link to it. That's how accessible <laughs> I am. Uh, <laughs> and, and, uh, but then beyond that, you know, still practicing law, working at a securities litigation firm. I'm, I'm an elected official. And most importantly, I'm, I'm, um, you know, I'm a dad to two amazing sons, and that also brings with it uh, some coaching, both football, well, not just both, I football, basketball, and track. So needless to say, I keep my hands full. I stay busy and, uh, you know, uh, always have a Notre Dame hat while doing so. <laughs> and, and because our podcast listeners can't see you, I will also let them know that you're much better dressed than both Eric and I currently. <laughs> I'm back in town so yeah i don't normally dress like this around the house it's just kind of a plane so the shirt and tie is because i just got back from a, a work trip but uh guys you have no idea how much i appreciate every opportunity to have these conversations and you guys do a phenomenal job so i i, I thank you from the bottom of my heart for giving me another opportunity to, to spend some time with you all well, we appreciate it we've known bobby for a long time Longer than Sam Hartman's been alive, maybe. Uh, so, but we really That's appreciate you, Bobby. That is saying something. That is saying something. We appreciate you. I appreciate you guys. Go Irish. Before we get to our question segment, I wanted to remind our listeners of a new promo we're offering for InsideIndieSports.com. We're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to InsideIndieSports.com. That will get you access to all of our premium content, the Insider Lounge message board, and you don't have to wait for the next podcast to ask us a question. You can take advantage of this offer by using promo code NDPOD, that's N-D-P-O-D, when you sign up for a subscription on InsideNDSports.com. You can also find a link to the deal in the podcast description or show notes. All right, now it's time for questions. You can submit questions to us on Twitter or the Insider Lounge message board before every podcast. 
I'm at TJamesND and Eric's at EHansonND. First one I have for us, Eric, is from Bob underscore Oxnard on the Insider Lounge. Should we move one of our running backs to receiver? You know, I I went back and forth on this a little bit. Um, at first, I set, wanted to say, wow, there's really no need to now. And then I started counting on my fingers <laughs> and realized even with the two Jadens coming back for Louisville, um, there are only five healthy receivers. And at the most, you're going to get is six with Deion Colsey coming back. Probably after the buy, I'm guessing they they always say a couple of weeks, but I think it's probably going to be after the buy. So for the last four games of the season, um, I would cross train. I would think about cross training a couple of guys. I would, uh, and that's why I asked Bobby about, about them in the um, earlier part of the show. I would look at Devin Ford because he's not getting a ton of reps and he does have that skill set of being able to catch the ball. And then Micah Bell, who played high school receiver and is um, one of the fastest guys on the team. Uh, those are the two that I would look at cross training. I wouldn't make a full commitment to that. Now, if there was a hitch with Deion Colsey's recovery, then I think maybe that's something that you need to do. So you're five. That doesn't include Braylon James, right? Oh, that's right. Braylon James. So, so yeah, not so, including him. So Braylon so James. Six, Braylon James gives them six. And then, see, I, I, I would have run ten men out on the field, too. <laughs> um, and, then, and then Jordan Faison would make seven. But – So I but, so yeah. I'm, my so my so the way the only re I wasn't saying it to to point out your mistake. I was saying it because those are I think would be the next options rather than a running back. Correct. Um, in my opinion, well, um, and if, I if would agree. Like I mean, Faison, and you've mentioned this on previous shows. If you make a commitment to playing him at all, and he's a guy that would probably be a pretty good special teamer, um, he he's very fast. Then his lacrosse scholarships needs to be a football scholarship and then you've committed to that as long as he's playing both sports so you can't say well just for this year and then okay we're going to give him back to the lacrosse scholarship and he from what i understand he's a heck of a lacrosse player but there is some consideration there you have room this year to do that but you may not have room next year to, to award that scholarship. So you really need to weigh what his future is, especially with guys like Cam Williams coming in next year uh, in the wide receiver core. If you, if he would ever play meaningful snaps and then you giving a, a scholarship to that, but you're right. I think even with the adapted math there, I, I don't think it's a bad idea to have, as we've seen how the attrition's gone, right. To have, cross training with those two not full-time training because i think you want micah bell to be a starting cornerback someday mm -hmm. uh and devin ford could do it pretty easily given the other four running backs and given you should have a better understanding of the offense right his experience playing running back correct so that I, those would be my solutions the problem I, i'm gonna go work on math while tyler <laughs> answers it the problem with that is that I think those guys are also slot receivers, and I, slot doesn't seem to be the problem for Notre Dame. Like I, don't, I can't imagine like Devin Ford would be a boundary or field receiver, or same with Micah Bell. And I think that's where Notre Dame needs 
needs the bodies most. But I, I do agree with you that, hey, it's probably a good idea to have some guys that can play in case of emergency because we're starting to get to that point. Um, but in terms we're of we're out of Xavier Watts doing that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can't. Yeah, we can't pretend that Xavier is still a wide receiver. Um, so I, I do think that, that it's worthwhile. The, the the likelihood that any of them would play wide receiver in a game, I think, would be low. I think it would be. I don't know. It, it would be shocking if you could get someone better prepared to play wide receiver with a midseason position switch than Braylon James is. Um, and like, what does that tell Braylon James? Like, <laughs> Hey, thanks right. for, thanks for all your work, but we're going to try someone else that isn't even been playing this position yet. So I think that would be tough to do. Um, Faison's the same as those other guys. He's a slot receiver. So that's why I don't know that, that he would be the answer, but I think he's a potential answer. And and I, I think I mentioned before that you could probably play Jaden Greathouse outside more. Um, and then maybe that makes room for for a, another slot receiver. So if that's the route you wanted to take, you could do that. But um, I'm not sure that um, in terms of playing time this season, we'll see a running back uh, playing receiver. Uh, LDL Go Irish on the Inside Lounge asks, it appears to me that wide receivers do not adjust p- patterns quickly and correctly, especially when defense is bringing pressure. One example is Rico Flores, who played a nice game for a young receiver, not taking his deep route towards and past the right hash to bring his defender away from the deep safety support. Coincidentally, our very very experienced quarterback led him in that direction. What say you and Eric? How much of that is design? I think is the there was also another question as part of that. Okay, so um, Tyler studies the film a little bit more than I do in fact quite a bit more than I do I'm watching it live and at full speed but that was something that was running through my mind was that is Sam Hartman a little bit more off target in the Duke game because the receivers aren't running the routes or aren't interpreting the routes the route depth and the coverages and so forth the same as Sam Hartman is whereas I think Jaden Thomas and Jaden Greathouse would be really good at that. Um, so I do my, I suspect uh, with Chris Tyree being a still relatively inexperienced receiver and to a certain extent Tobias, since he Merriweather, since he didn't play a lot last year, I'd say that there's probably some of that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have watched the film a lot. I, although I've spent more time this this week on the offensive line play because um, it wasn't particularly good. And uh, not that the wide receiver play was very good either, uh, but the, the, the offensive linemen will be the same ones playing. Whereas uh, I think we're going to see other guys at wide receiver moving forward. Um, so I mentioned that to say I was up late doing that. And so when I said how much of that is designed, that was actually my note, not, not part of the question from LDL go Irish. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know if like Notre Dame's not designing plays that have quick outlets for for Sam Hartman to throw to in certain situations. Um, and I would imagine someone like Rico Flores, who's a freshman, isn't going to have the same sort of knack for that as someone who's more experienced. Um, Rico, to begin with, was asked to do a lot more than he's been asked to do before this season. I, I like him. I think he's done a pretty pretty good job so far this year. Um, but I, I, I don't think it was necessarily a great game for him. Certainly the two point conversion was great. 
um, and there's confidence and trust in him, but he had a couple opportunities that I think he would like back. Um, I think, and to add to that, Tobias Merriweather, I don't think adjustments are his strong suit. Like he, he's, he's still working on the basics in terms of catching the ball and playing with confidence. I think Jaden Thomas and Jaden Greyhouse are the better improvisers of the wide receiver position and they weren't available. Um, and I, I don't know that Chris Tyree is as natural at it, given that he's a first year wide receiver. So I, I think that we saw the weaknesses of those, of the wide receiver position, um, sort of on full display against Duke because the guys that were in those positions maybe aren't, aren't the best suited to, to help out Sam Hartman in some of those situations. All right, next question is from Marie Biafore at Biafore underscore Marie. What grade would you give the offensive game plan for the Duke game? Why no running outside or getting love or price in space? What is the aversion to play action? What grade would you give for offensive offensive in-game adjustment or lack thereof? Uh, Marie, I believe you're leading the witness here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So let me give you a grade for um, the offensive game plan and and I'm giving Duke's defensive game plan an A++++ and they've really been doing that all year Um, Duke is on Notre Dame schedule Duke is the best pass defense Notre Dame has faced or will face and I don't think that that number is going to change a whole lot uh, down the stretch this deep into the season. They're sixth in the country in pass efficiency defense. They're one of the best overall defenses on Notre Dame's schedule as well. Um, and they held everybody, including Clemson, to single digits until they played Notre Dame. And just to give you an idea of how rare it is for Clemson to score in single digits, Dabo Sweeney has coached 205 games since taking the job on a permanent basis in 2009 he's 205 games that the duke game was the fifth time they didn't get out of uh single digits and uh, a couple of recent examples of that was georgia in 2021 in the opener it was a 10 to 3 game alabama in a national semifinal in 2017 so you get the idea of what kind of caliber teams have been able to hold a Clemson offense to single digits. Um, So having said that, I'm leading you back, Marie. So you may have a tomato in your hand ready to throw at me, but it's hard to hit me from Atlanta. I'm giving the, um, I'm giving it a B uh, based on what the circumstances were in the game. And, and the, again, I think some of it was the execution. The interior Notre Dame offensive line did not have a good game. And Duke, realizing that the potential for that and magnifying that, I think made the game plan look poor. And I'm going to give Parker an A for adjusting. You get a 95-yard drive. That's the longest scoring drive, I believe, was in the notes today since 1970. Um, at least since 1970. So I don't care how ugly it looked. You get down the field and you score to win a game 95 yards, you get an A for that from me. So I will hand it over to Tyler and see if he gets tomatoes thrown at him as well. All right. Well, I will do my best job at ducking the tomatoes. 
Um, for the game plan, I would give him a B minus. Um, but I do think the execution was far worse than the plan itself. I don't, I don't know that there were a lot of other options that were left unattempted. I mean, maybe get the ball, like getting the ball to love and price and space. Maybe you do that with some swing passes. Maybe you could do something with Tyree in, in similar ways. But they did try to run outside. I know uh, yep. that it's, it's sometimes like when when it doesn't happen, people forget that it or it doesn't work. People forget that it didn't work. I, I had them running tosses for gains of four and two yards. The one success, successful run outside was a seven-yard jet sweep. Um, they ran counter, which they like to run to get to the edge. Uh, that that two run two counters combined for one yard. Uh, according to the PFF stats, they they track runs off the edge. So for the left edge, they had two for six yards, and off the right edge, they had four for eleven yards. So maybe you want to see the quantity higher, but it's not like it was. There was a lot of evidence that was working. Sometimes some safeties were getting involved and preventing that from happening. Um, and even on one of the counters, I, I think it was a counter play, a safety from the backside blitzed and was able to catch up to the running back and and, and do that. And the counter play itself wasn't as um, efficient uh, because Jaden Thomas plays a pretty big role in, in, in helping block for that as well. The one, the, the counter play that Notre Dame likes to use most, most often. And Rico Flores did it once and he basically ran into uh, Jeremiah Love on one play. So the, that, they just didn't have the personnel that they wanted to to use that play as, as well as it did. I think in terms of adjustments, I don't know. It would probably be in the same area. The fact that they were still able to get the ball to Mitchell Evans six times for 134 yards, even though it was painfully obvious to anyone watching that that was their only real threat as a passing target. Um, they obviously did some good things. Like they, they schemed up a third and 10 for him on that, on that final drive, that, that game winning drive. And it, it worked um, exactly how they wanted it to. And so I think there were some good adjustments made. Um, I would like to see better execution. And But I just think Jared Parker was really playing with one hand tied behind his back because the wide receivers just were not viable threats. And uh, that's that's the reality of where Notre Dame was at. And Mike Elko knew that. And then the defensive scheme was was adjusted on Duke's end to say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to make them try to beat us with the, with the throw and, and Notre Dame really couldn't. All right. Next question is from Baba Ganoush at PLACT underscore ITFDB. Sam Hartman has all, was always adept at the back shoulder pass at Wake Forest. We haven't seen it yet this season that I can recall. Are there any Notre Dame receivers that can make that play? It doesn't seem that difficult for wide receiver. Could there be other reasons for not implementing that? Um, I think the two Jadens could probably do that. We had this question on Football Never Sleeps on our YouTube show last night, I believe. Um, I think some of it is play design that Jared Parker's trying to get more yards after the catch and trying to get the receivers on the move so that they can catch it and then get more yards down the field rather than maybe going into the boundary or or doing the um, stop, drop, and roll move. <laughs> so um, not not that that back shoulder uh, throw always leads to that. Some of it might be, you know, I'm not sure how many times in the red zone that they've thrown into the end zone uh, or, or really close, maybe inside the 10, thrown into the end zone. So I, I'm not not worried about him not doing it, but I realize that's not your question. It's who could do it. And so 
my my answer would be that Jaden's would seem to be the best at doing that. They have the body and the body awareness to do that. Yeah, I mean, I would I would push back on the the concept that it doesn't seem that difficult for a wide receiver. I I think it's something that is that the best receivers do well. Um, and I don't think Notre Dame has the best receivers right now. Um, I think Jaden Thomas is the best on Notre Dame's roster at it, at least from what I've seen. Because it's not like we haven't seen them do it in practice. Um, obviously, it's not a, a, a huge part. It hasn't been a huge part of the offense. I'm not exactly sure if it's accurate to say that we haven't seen it at all this season. Um, but I, I I would have to go back and watch a lot of pass plays to to check on that. I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with chemistry um, and time together. And, and maybe that that is a function of Sam Hartman being here for one year and not having that same chemistry with the wide receivers. Uh, I, I mentioned before on the on football never sleeps when this was asked that I think it could be a product of Sam Hartman trying to protect the ball more and, and not putting it in danger and being worried uh, to put receivers that he maybe doesn't trust as much as, as guys he played for multiple years with um, in positions to, to put the ball in a bad spot. So um, I don't, it, if we haven't seen a lot of it so far, it would be a little bit surprising to, to see it added. It, I, I'm curious to, if, I haven't asked anyone at Notre Dame about it. I would be curious to to hear what what Jared Parker would say if that's been intentionally tonight. <laughs> intentionally absent. Well, can I mean we'll we'll see how the the it's not always easy to try to talk to a player and a coach. So uh, we'll see how it works out. But uh, um, if I if I get that opportunity, I'll try to do that. All right. Next question is from Charles W. Wolf. Do you think Coach Freeman really meant what he said about wanting estimate to kneel at the one, or was that just a white lie to instill some confidence in Spencer Schrader? We had a chance to walk it back twice on Monday, and he didn't. Um, I do not think it was a white lie. I think it was something that was he was trying to explain was the analytics answer and that he was going to lean into the analytics answer on that. Um, so I, it's something I disagree about and um, we'll just agree to disagree. Yeah. I don't think it's a white lie because they were, they were willing to have Spencer Schrader kick a 40 yarder. So they weren't, they weren't afraid to have him kick a PAT clearly, um, which is what it would have been from that distance. Um, I know like Eric had said, Eric is not alone in disagreeing with that idea. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I just don't think, I, I think he's being honest. I don't know why he would keep saying that. Like telling Spencer Schrader, we're willing to like let you kick an extra point. I don't think is instilling a lot of confidence in him. So I don't know that why that would be a reason to keep bringing this up in the way he has. And he's brought it up. He, the, the first time he brought it up, he brought it up unprompted. No one asked like, did you want Audrey Estime to go down before scoring a touchdown? I asked him, why did they run the ball in that situation? Um, was it because they had confidence in Schrader to kick a longer field goal? And that's, he said, yes, that we were, that they were going to try to center it. They weren't trying to score a touchdown necessarily. Um, and uh, obviously that's, that is what happened. They, they did score a touchdown and everyone was able to breathe a little bit easier because of that. All right. Next question is another one from LDL go Irish on the inside lounge. Can you and Eric discuss tackling? I know every head coach would want zero, and by that I think he means missed tackles, but what is a good percentage of missed tackles for a top-notch defense? The PFF missed percentages 
for several defensive starters is staggering, in my opinion. Am I right, or are those the misses? Are those the misses expected from a top-notch defense? Um. So, I think you've nailed it. Um, it's too many missed tackles for a top-notch defense, and it's surprising for a top-notch defense. And it's also surprising for a team that has as much depth that's able to rotate and keep players fresh. So, yeah, I do think it's an issue. It's it's one of the things that Notre Dame needs to get better at. Yeah, I don't I don't have a number for a good percentage of missed tackles for a top-notch defense. The research I did was looking at PFFs. Yeah, I think there aren't they in about the middle of the pack with missed tackles nationally. Um, I do not know. I did. I did not. Okay, check. I looked at that. It they're for team standpoint, they're kind of in the middle of the pack of of 130 teams. I think they were 60th. I looked up the top 10, and I, I looked up like the the top notch defenses. I try to figure out okay, what is what are so I looked up the top 10 defenses in PFF tackling grades, and then mm-hmm. I looked up the top 10 defenses in terms of total defense uh, in terms of yards per game so if you look at the top 10 in pff tackling grades it's number one is air force number two is rutgers three is syracuse four maryland five california six florida atlantic seven toledo eight coastal carolina nine alabama ten georgia five of those teams are also in the top 20 in total defense air force is both number one in top uh, in tackling grade and number two in total defense. So they are the, uh, the high bar for the combination of those two. Um, Rutgers is the 10th, 10th in total defense. Syracuse is 19th. Alabama's 18th. Georgia is 16th. Those other teams, Maryland's 38th in total defense. Cal's 56th. Florida Atlantic's 90th. Toledo's 50th. Coastal Carolina is 85th. So you can be a good tackling defense and not be a good total defense. And then, so then I looked at the vice versa. Penn State is number one in total defense. Their PFF tackling grade ranks 92nd. Um, Air Force, I mentioned, is second. Ohio is 104th as third overall in total defense. Texas A&M is fifth. They're 107th, 107th um, in in uh, PFF tackling grade. Um, so those are some examples. Clemson's ninth. They're 65th in NPF uh, tackling grade. So it's there's not a there's not a lot of teams that are both in the top tens of each. The only two that were in the top 10 of both were air force and Rutgers. Now, maybe that's just a random sample that isn't necessarily indicative overall. Yes. Tackling makes your defense better. I don't think anyone's going to argue against that, but you can still have a good defense without the best tackling. Um, and you can also um, get away. You can also just have good stats, even if you're missing like it, I think what what Notre Dame has done well, like yes, they miss tackles, but they seem to have more than one guy there in a spot to make a play. So if you have multiple guys getting to the football, you can still miss two. You can still guys miss tackles, and there's still another guy to clean it up. So um, it's something that Notre Dame definitely needs to improve on, I think. Um, but it's it's not, and I, I don't think it's a lo- good long term plan to be bad at tackling. But um, right. they're, they're, they've been able to still be a good statistical defense without without really good tackling. Right. Where I think it shows up for them mostly in their conventional statistics is their middle of the pack nationally and third down defense. For for a team that's 11th in total defense, mm-hmm. that's a pretty big disparity. And also their sacks and tackles for loss. A lot of times when we've seen those missed tackles, they've been in the backfield. And so then the 
player might get back to the line of scrimmage where somebody else meets him. Yeah, and they also come after the catch too, which is which is really tough because that they can get a lot of more yards after a ta- after a catch because usually there's one guy guarding someone. So if Cade Stover breaks a tackle after he catches a pass, there's not going to be someone right on top of him other than that one person. So um, that is that is an area that that Ohio State certainly took advantage of as well. Now, see, I'm glad you brought up Air Force because m- my youngest son lives in Colorado Springs, and he's all excited about wanting to go see Colorado play. And I said. The best team in Colorado may be in your town, Colorado Springs. (laughs) You may want to go check out Air Force. Plus, they have a food truck that serves giant turkey legs. How cool would it be to sit at a football game eating a giant turkey leg? Yeah, I don't know if that's cooler than all the celebrities that are at Colorado games, but I I think... uh, I would take the giant turkey legs over the celebrities. All right. Uh, Next question is... Unless it's Taylor Swift. (laughs) <laughs> I don't think she'll be at Colorado unless the Chiefs play against Colorado at some point. <laughs> um, Green Day 182 on the Insider Lounge asks, Howard Cross is often the forgotten about defensive lineman. He absolutely went off against Duke. Congrats to him and his teammates. He may be too undersized to get drafted. Does he have any eligibility left? Would he consider coming back to Notre Dame? If not, do you think he may get a shot in a training camp? Well, he was not forgotten this week. He's gotten a couple of National Player of the Week awards. Um, Today, on Tuesday, he was named the Chuck Bagnarek Defensive Player of the Week. He was earlier named the Senior Bowl Player of the Week, Defensive Player of the Week. Um, Notre Dame noted in their um, PR account that he leads all defensive tackles in... um, All defensive linemen. All defensive linemen nationally and tackles with 35. He saw that also leads Notre Dame's team with 35. Um, so does could he come back for a sixth year? Yes, he could. He does have the COVID exemption. Riley Mills, somebody asked me on our message board. Riley Mills, who would be coming back for a fifth year, also has that. I don't expect either of them to do it. Um, I don't know that. Howard Cross's, um, you know, that he would accomplish, uh, you know, that he would grow three inches. Yeah, he's not going to get taller, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In in that time, maybe if he has a late growth spurt. Um, But I I do know this. I have seen tweets from people that are NFL draft analysts mentioning him starting to climb in terms of his draft equity. Now, that doesn't mean... He's climbing rounds. That means he's climbing maybe into the third day of the draft rather than being a an undrafted free agent. I think he would definitely get an invitation to camp based on his productivity. His dad, Howard Cross Jr., had a long NFL career as a tight end, was a really good tight end at Alabama, and I think that w- would open some doors as well. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I'm comically bad at knowing who who will or won't get drafted coming out of Notre Dame. Uh, I, I feel like many of us are. I think a lot of times we overrate guys just because we're so familiar with them. Um, but I think he's a draftable player. I mean, I think he does a lot of things that you would want. Um, now, Kurt Heinis wasn't drafted, but he's he's made a a, a decent start to his career. Um, I think- Ian Williams didn't get drafted, and. Until he got hurt, he was doing great for the uh, 49ers. Right. So, I mean, I think he would definitely get a chance. And, I mean, and shorter guy like like Howard Cross. Right. So, I, I think that 
Cross would undoubtedly get an invite to a camp. I, I think that I think he would probably even sign an undrafted free agent contract the day the draft ended or whatever if if he went undrafted. Um, so I don't think he would come back either. I, I tend to agree with you there. I think now that we're like at this part of the COVID exemption years that most of those guys had that very early in their career, I think we're going to start to see less and less of them take advantage of that. Um, just because they, I don't feel like they felt like they missed like a, a prime year of their career um, because of COVID and feel like it's worth staying five or six years in, in college football at that point. So uh, I think uh, I tend to agree that both he and Riley Mills would move on after the season. And we are finally getting to the end of the line with that. Riley Mills class is the last one that will have that, that our true seniors are the last ones that will have that option. All right. Uh, next question is from ND Navy 86 on the Insider Lounge. Charleston's article listed linebacker snap counts with Marist at 81% and Kaiser at 23%. While Marist is undoubtedly fast and arrives with malice, it seems that his decision-making is questionable, leading to a high-reward but high-risk outcome. Marist also missed a few tackles, one in particular in the backfield that let Riley Leonard get five-plus more yards. Kaiser seems to routinely put himself in better position to make plays. What are your thoughts? Should Kaiser be in more often, especially looking forward to Southern Cal game planning? Also, is Al Golden's defense too complicated if he can't work in some of the young, talented backers? Duke's touchdown play to an unco uncovered player comes to mind. Okay, I'm going to cut that off. So let's let's answer the first part of that, and then we'll do is Al Golden's too complicated as a separate question mm -hmm. so that we don't get lost here. So um, I think Jack Kaiser needs to play more. Now, why would Notre Dame do what they're doing with Marist? Because they've seen a spark there certainly in the first three games he was really good disappeared against ohio state even though he had that missed tackle that you reference and i remember that um he was more the first three game marist than he was game four marist against duke and if you're the coaching staff you're like does playing him more make him that guy on a regular basis does he become this game wrecker at linebacker, the more reps he gets. Now, you're doing it largely at the expense of Jack Kaiser because Notre Dame plays so much nickel. They only have two linebackers on the field. Early in the year, what they were doing was playing J.D. Bertrand and Maris together, playing Jack Kaiser and Jalen Sneed together, and kind of rotating them. But as they've gotten into the more difficult competition – that rotation hasn't stayed. Uh, I, I do think you got to make more of Jack Kaiser's skills. Consistently, the last three years, he's been one of the top-rated defenders on Notre Dame's team. Now, part of that is he knows his limitations, and Notre Dame usually doesn't put him in a position where he's going to be exposed mm -hmm. with his weaknesses. However, I think he's earned more playing time I think Jalen Sneed has too I think you do have to go to more of a rotation with e even um, J.D. Bertrand coming out a little bit among those four linebackers so I'll answer the rest of it after Tyler answers this part of it 
Yeah, I mean, we've been play the play Jack Kaiser more. We, I feel like we've been driving that train uh, since the off season, like that. That we all thought that we and we thought that Kaiser would play more, although he hasn't. And, and then Marist has had good moments. I think he was playing well early in the season. I think he has maybe plateaued in recent weeks. Um, and I, I don't know that I have a good explanation for why. I think I like that Andy Navy pointed out that he he maybe is a high risk, high reward player where that Maris leaf and, and that was like if Maris isn't gonna be making plays, I don't know why he's playing. Like I feel like he's a potential playmaker, whereas Jack seems more just fundamentally sound and isn't necessarily going to make the bigger plays that, that Maris has made at, at times. Um he's productive. But he but he's productive. Yeah, when he's out there, he's making tackles. Maris plays so many snaps and I don't know, he, I, he's not within the top five of tackles on the defense. I don't think, I, I, I don't know where he's at off the top of my head, but I know he's not, he's not above. Uh, I think Kaiser might even have more tackles than him and he plays significantly less than him. Um, so I, 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 I'm not really sure why Marist seems to always get the benefit of the doubt. It seems. Um, and I don't know that we've ever really gotten a good explanation for it. I think, they just Notre Dame, whether it's Al Golden or, or Marcus Freeman, will just sort of say that they like Marist and what he can do. And um, I don't know that I have a big answer. I, in terms of like playing in the Southern Cal game, I don't know that Jack, Jack Kaiser is going to be used in that game because they're not going to play. Uh, they play a lot of nickel and they might even play a lot of dime. Um, but I wouldn't be opposed to seeing him get some more opportunities. Um, and uh, I think they need to find a better way to use him. A, a couple of things here. You, you are correct. Kaiser is third on the team in tackles with 30. Given how how few snaps he's had, that's stunning. Uh, Marist is seventh with 23. Um, and then Jack Kaiser also has a tackle for loss, which was a sack. He has two quarterback hurries and a forced fumble. So he's been remarkably productive. Um, I, I have asked the Jack Kaiser question to – Al Golden a lot last year and I've asked it to him this year and his response is always the same we need to get him out there more it, it you know he doesn't push back on it at all and so um and and Tim O'Malley from Irish Illustrated had a good question last year or last week saying you know can you find ways to get Harper and Kaiser on the field at the same time I thought that was an interesting question. He said, you know, that's something we need to look, look into, and that would require Harper to play a little bit more conventional safety than nickel on those downs and, and having Kaiser in the game. Um, so, you know, we, we've asked about it. We, we get the same response every time. And, um, so I'm not sure that I'll ask about it tonight. <laughs> <laughs> what 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 are your thoughts on the the idea that Al Golden's defense is too complicated if you can't get the young talented linebackers in there? I don't think that that's the gauge for whether it's too complicated or not. I think it's at the right level of being complex because. Notre Dame does need to hide its pressures. It does need to disguise them. Otherwise, really good quarterbacks like Jack Plummer, who's in his sixth year, 
is going to say, oh, I see where the pressure's coming from. I'll throw there. That's where it's going to be vacated on the field. If Notre Dame could generate more pass rush with its front four, then maybe you don't need the complexity. But I I, I don't, I mean, Jalen Snead needs to play more. He's one of your better athletes. But if you're talking about Drake Bowen and Jaden Osbury and Preston Zinner, their time's going to come. They're going to play next year. Uh, So I don't think it's too complicated. I think it's right about the right place in terms of complexity. Yeah, I think if Nolan Ziegler made it through the preseason in in the right spot, like he was having the the type of offseason that would have put him in position to to rotate. I don't think that those other guys necessarily did. I'll I'll push back on the Jalen Sneed stuff. We're talking about tackling being a problem. He is Notre Dame's worst tackler in PFF grades. Um, second worst on the team, and Adon Schuler's the other other one that's on there, but Adon has not played very much at all. Um, Jalen Sneed's tackling grade is 32.5. That's worse than literally everyone else who plays regularly on the defense. Um, so is, can he overcome that? Can he make more plays that make it worth putting him out there? Uh, maybe, but if that's a, if, if tackling is a problem with your defense, I don't know that putting someone else out there that struggles with tackling, um, is the best answer. I, I to me, it's just like, well, if they can't get Jack Kaiser out there, like they got to get him out there before they figure out how to get the other guys out there. So I don't, I don't really know like what, I don't know what else to say. Like we think Jack Kaiser needs to play more. So yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not. I'd rather put Kaiser in than any of the other guys. Um, so I, I, I think that I guess that's that's all I have to say on that. Well, I, I'll push back a little bit on Jalen Sneed. I think Jalen Sneed gets to some plays that other people, because of his speed, that they wouldn't even get in the position to make the tackle. And again, I think he's learning. Yeah, do you want him? on a critical down against Duke um, where he might miss a tackle, maybe not. But I, I think, you know, when they play Pittsburgh and Wake Forest and Stanford, he needs to play because he potentially will be one of your starters next year. And, and he can help you this year. Yeah. I think athleticism, I think Maris gets there too, but he also whiffs. And so that's the problem. Yeah. I, I think, uh, and that's, a, right. that, that leads us to our next question. From Baba Ganoush at PLACTITFD. Any idea why Maris Leofau seems to tackle folks so high? When it, when he has extreme leverage, he brings them down, but he has had a fair amount of whiffs and missed tackles after having opportunities for tackles for loss. Maybe he doesn't want to be called for hip targeting. JK. <laughs> so the hip targeting was uh, what Jordan Botello uh, was called for and what the... Um, officials analyst who I don't even know what the guy's name was that was on the ABC broadcast but he explained that hitting a quarterback with the crown of the helmet applies to their whole body not just helmet to helmet contact so that uh Jordan Botello led with his yeah and they're not just protecting the quarterback they're protecting Jordan Botello too he shouldn't be tackling right. like that correct so yes so that's what, but I thought that was a funny line. Uh, I'm not sure why he does. Um, you know, I that that's a good question for um, Maris that he would probably give you the stink eye for. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, it it's I mean, there's not a 
uh, a graceful way to answer that question, he might say, you know, well, you know, how you know, which would be zero for me. I can't even tackle my grandkids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the best way he can answer is as yes, I do need to do a better job of it. I don't know that he would tell you why he does it the way he does it. Um, but I, I think that uh, it's something that is is a problem. Um, and I, I don't know that we'll have a great answer for why. Um, I mentioned he his tackling grade is is not very good either. A 32.5 is what Jalen Sneed has at the bottom. He has a 39.9 tackling grade, which puts him between Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison, which is not where you want one of your two starting linebackers to be. Uh, so that's something he needs to be better at. And I think uh, I think everyone would probably agree about that. Who Who's Notre Dame's best tacklers? I think it's Jack Kaiser. Yeah. Um, let me hear. I have it. I have that tab open. Uh, yeah. Cool. Jack Kaiser is 87.6 tackling grade. Um, and then second is Antonio Carter, though he's only played 37 defensive snaps. The third is Thomas Harper, who's played a lot. He's had he has an 81.5 grade. Um, then you got some guys that don't play a ton. Christian Gray, Junior Tui Halamaka. You'd have to go down to in terms of regular players. Javante's John Baptiste is a 75.1. Um, let's see, where's JD Bertrand? He's a 52.9, so he's not uh the best tackler either. Um, and that's reflective of what we talked about, that Notre Dame's defense hasn't been great yeah. at tackling. Even Xavier Watts, who I, I think most of us would think of as Notre Dame's best tackler at safety, has a 49 tackling grade. J- DJ Brown is actually the safety that with the highest grade um, at 61. And I don't know that many people say DJ Brown is a great <laughs> tackler in space either. So it's something that Notre Dame has struggled with and, and needs to be better at, and that that applies to a lot of the defense, not just Maris Leofile. All right. Uh, next question is uh, from at Murray O'Connell. Number one, does Maris Leofile still deserve to start? Number two, should we start worrying about kicking now? Number three, is Sam Hartman the football version of Ted Lasso? Both are the classiest and nicest guys in the world. Does Maris Leofile deserve to start? Yes, but I, I still want to see more rotation. Should we start worrying about kicking now? I, I thought it's getting better. again. They remade his his kicking motion when he came to Notre Dame to get him an extra 10 yards or so of distance and, and maximize his distance. So it's a new motion that he's not used to, and he has a special teams coach who was a college kicker. So, um, And Marcus seemed confident enough to go for the field goal there. So... Um, I, I think it's getting better. Is Sam Hartman the football version of Ted Lasso? I'm going to let Tyler answer that. I don't watch Ted Lasso. Oh, come on, Eric. We got we got to get you to watch Ted Lasso. Um, once football well, season... invite me over and <laughs> give me beer, and I'll I'll give you an opinion then. What once football season uh, ends, I think we need to get you on a Ted Lasso experiment. I know who Ted Lasso is. I could pick him out of a police lineup, but I have <laughs> not seen one episode. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been fun to watch Sam Hartman embrace this one year opportunity. And I think he is a, uh, very, he's a good sportsman. He has great sportsmanship. I think his teammates love him. Uh, I think everyone has to respect his sort of passion for the, the game of football. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, he's not, 
he's not necessarily the classiest or nicest when you're asking him questions after he's messed up. Like he was, he, he got a little feisty when he was asked about uh, not getting the first down and the fourth down situation against Ohio state. And he, uh, when one reporter asked him, well, how, what should you have done better? Um, he said, uh, well, why don't you tell me? <laughs> so he wasn't, awesome. he, he wasn't feeling great in that situation, but I, I can understand the frustration. Um, does Marius Leofowd still deserve a start? I I would probably say still starting, but rotating more like we've we've mentioned. And then I'm not going to tell anyone to not worry about the kicking. I I the I think I don't think anything's going to happen in terms of changing who's who's kicking. Um, so the worrying isn't going to do you any good. I don't think. But um, I I I don't. When Spencer Strader goes out there, I'm I, I'm not taking my eye off the field and like writing down that their field goal is made. Uh, he has my full attention because he has not been uh, as consistent as you'd like him to be. But um, hopefully for Notre Dame's sake that there is some consistency. I mean, he made two or three, which is an improvement on his season. Uh, field well, goal and, and, and if you needed a 55 yarder to win the game and make it into the playoff at the end of the season, at least you know somebody. He has the distance. Maybe yeah, and that's and, and that was the yardage that in that video that we referenced in the Bobby Bobby Brown interview uh, that Notre Dame released uh, on Monday that had included headset audio from the coaching staff. Marty Biagi says, "Get us to the thirty-seven to be a realistic shot to to win the game," um, and that would be the equivalent of a fifty-five yarder. So that's where Notre Dame. It's not Dabo, Dabo Sweeney saying he can make a seventy yarder with fifty five. <laughs> that's that's where Marty Biaggi was willing to to say, "Hey, let's put Spencer Schrader out there to, to give it a kick." And obviously, like we mentioned, that Notre Dame was willing to. If Audrey Gessman gets tackled um, on that first second down run, um, they were going to be willing to attempt a forty plus yarder with Spencer Schrader to win the game. Yeah, All one right. of his misses this year wasn't it from fifty nine? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think yeah, that's right. And it was yeah. just short. Yeah, his I mean his leg strength is not not the issue. Um it's the accuracy that that he's got to get uh, under control. All right, last question from SJB75 on the Insider Lounge. Uh which I think we feel like we get this question from SJB uh, maybe once or twice every every two months or so. Both you both of you have watched Sam Hartman and Notre Dame play six games, correct? And have witnessed what Hartman means to this team. Notre Dame opens at Texas A&M in 2024. Do the two of you believe Marcus Freeman in a few months will seriously consider a grad transfer quarterback for 2024? Um, my answer would be the same. Yes, but not necessarily pursue one. I think they'll right. vet that process. And then when, you know, I think in as they get into late November, they'll have a much better idea of who's available. And then also what, the quarterbacks on their roster and also what CJ Carr is capable of. So I think the calculus will be much easier to do at the end of November, but you've got to be diligent. You have to be ready to pursue. You can't just say all of a sudden at the last minute, you've got to be ready to move on these players as soon as they're in the portal. They're not going to last, especially somebody the caliber that you would be taking taking that transfer over the guys that you have right yeah I, I think the way Marcus Freeman's first year as Notre Dame head coach went and the, the way the quarterback play developed after not taking a grad transfer he's going to seriously consider it every year he doesn't have a returning starting quarterback right like why wouldn't he uh, I think any coach that doesn't is not doing themselves uh 
doing their program well. I think that it's in the best interest of every program to at least consider it. Um, so I think Marcus Freeman will seriously consider it because he knows that someone like Sam Hartman can obviously improve your chances of, of winning football games. Right. And and the other thing that you have to consider is what will you lose? If you take a transfer quarterback, do you lose Steve Angeli? Is it worth it? That's something the coaching staff also has to consider. All right. That is it for today's episode of the Inside Indie Sports Podcast. If you don't already, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other popular podcast platforms. If you like what you hear, give us a star rating, leave a review, and share our podcast feed with someone who knows a remedy for sore hamstrings. As I mentioned earlier, we're offering a 30-day free trial to our podcast listeners who want to try out a subscription to InsideNDSports.com. So please take advantage of that with the promo code NDPOD. That's N-D-P-O-D. We are rolling through our weekly audio and video content with the Inside ND Sports podcast here every Tuesday. And over on YouTube, we have Football Never Sleeps live every Monday night. Place your bets every Friday before a game. And post-game takeaways late Saturday slash early Sunday. And that will be once again early Sunday uh, with a, a night kickoff for us. And uh, We want an NIL deal with Keurig. <laughs> Eric will be having coffee um, certainly before we, we film a, another uh, 4 a.m. <laughs> uh, post-game takeaways videos. But uh, we have plenty of coverage of Notre Dame football and recruiting over at InsideNDSports.com. So stick with us there for all your Notre Dame coverage needs. 